0: welcome everyone to the Uncaged Mindset Podcast. I am so excited today because I have on today a very special guest. He is a good friend of mine, filmmaker, producer, director, the list goes on and on. And just this past weekend, he released a short film, a visual poem based on the perspective told from from the perspective of a black man being lynched. Heartfelt, uh, beautiful, courageous, and to add on to his list of credits, he is a humanitarian an activist, um, <laughs> and activist. I am just so excited to have you on my show. I, yeah, didn't know how to introduce you because you've done so much. <laughs> welcome, 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 Michael Colon
1: to the Uncaged Mindset Podcast. Actually, I think that was a great, great introduction. And if you can introduce me to everything I do, that'd be great. Okay, like, yeah. Just, like, you're just so good at it. Like, I'm, you could be my... my uh, What's that like? My rep man? Like we'll just go out there and just be like, get everybody. You can be my hype man. That's it. From now on, you're you're my uh, official hype man. Oh,
0: like that was it's official. Okay, cool. Now I feel yeah. like uh, I've got uh, I've got I've got a glow in your shadow.
1: <laughs> uh, no, I mean, look, when you were on my podcast, you you just said like the, the nicest exam I'm on your podcast, if you said, I mean, you just like the things you say. You mean, you make me sound I. You, I feel like you make me sound better than I am. I mean, I don't think I'm bad, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, I guess I am all those things. I never really think about it. Like when you're just doing, when you're doing it, you don't ever stop to think about it, I think, right? So in the case of like my eyes, I, when I first started writing back in my early 20s, I was part of this all black writing group. And I was the only white guy and I was writing. We were doing a lot of um, pieces for like Black History Month and then we were doing Juneteenth. And I was just writing these things based on like the things that I saw the people around me how it was affecting them and then when I wrote my eyes um it really was based on on a short story I read years ago in college called uh party down at the square by Ralph Ellison Ralph Ellis I think that's the name and it was just a, a story about this young white boy who was watching this black man get burned alive and there was a line in the story where he said I could he could see the audience through the smoke Watching him, and he was asking, like, if how can you consider yourself good Christians and then just watch somebody burn like this, and that really affected me. And as someone who grew up being gay, I know what it's like to be sort of persecuted, or ridiculed for just being me. And it's like my life doesn't even affect them, but like somehow they they take it upon themselves to to remind me that like because I'm gay, I'm different. So I wanted to write something that I knew was powerful, and so I started realizing like what what would it be like to you know to to be in that perspective and so this was like the poem that i was sort of known known for for a while like i would go to a lot of um i was traveled a lot like i i, I did a lot of spoken word um uh events and i and i performed a lot and so my eyes was just sort of like the poem i was known for um so now flash forward to here to 2020 and regardless of the fact that we're literally in the middle of a global pandemic people are willing to risk the risk that their health to, to to march in protest, peaceful pro- protest, I should say. Um, and then I thought about it and I remember putting the poem My Eyes on my website because I've always found it to be such a powerful piece. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna record it so that way it's out there, people can hear it. And then a friend, my friend Miranda was like, you know, what? if it's from the perspective of a black person, I have a black person read it. And I was like, yeah, I like that. And then she's like, you know, actually, why don't you have multiple people read it? And I actually liked that because um, what we need to realize is there's we're, we're very unified. And I felt like having multiple voices read the same poem from, from a personal perspective made it much more powerful. And so then I included, you know, gay and lesbian, there's a trans person in there, women, older, younger, like just across the gambit. And I don't know, like, I knew it would be powerful, but then when, when the editor put it to music and he like had all these crossfades and stuff. I mean, I watch it, and I performed that poem for years, and I still when I watch it, I'm just like, oh my god, it's just like, so I had no idea how powerful it would be. There's like knowing it and then like really seeing it, and it. I don't know. It's yeah. So there you go. So I, I'm just kind of pushing it out to everybody because I really think it's something that needs to be, to be heard. I just think we're in such crazy times. I mean, we're. I feel like we're in a modern day civil war almost. That's probably a very profound statement. I don't mean it like that, but I mean, you know, there's just, just what's happening as a society of like people, I mean, just going out there and marching and we're making a difference that people are listening. And, and so many more people are empathetic than they used to be. It's, 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 we're literally in the middle of a movement, man. So, so there you go. That's why I wrote it and sent it out.
0: Well, thank you, Michael, for, for sharing this gift with the world. And
1: Oh, my pleasure uh,
0: unfortunately but fortunately you know what you wrote uh and the sentiment behind it the energy behind it the impact behind it you know and you wrote that 15 years ago and we're still having the conversation but what i love about how um it was edited and how it was performed it was exactly the way uh that it that Healing for the world needs, and, and the intention behind what the next step is, which is yeah. having the conversation and putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. That's what we gotta do. Right? We gotta listen and also try our best to understand what it's like, you know, living, um, you know, as a marginalized group. And I think that, you know, it's literally look through my eyes. Uh, it's definitely. Yeah. Def- the way that this performed is so impactful. And I'm so grateful uh, that you
1: did this. Well, I don't care what anybody says. It's not hard to be empathetic. It really isn't. I mean, granted, I, I grew up gay, so I do know what it's like to be persecuted in a lot of ways, and so I probably, but I mean, my, my plight is nothing compared to like people. I mean, and, and right now a lot of Asian people are being you know, persecuted because they think that just because they're Chinese, they brought the virus. It's like just that, that weird mindset that people have. I can't, I, I just don't understand where people get that. And it's not hard to be empathetic, you know? It's like, like I said, these people don't affect, the, most, most people don't like, like, me being gay doesn't affect those people's lives, you know? So it's like, I don't need people to, so I can understand that in the empathy ways, but it's really not the heart, you know, to be empathetic, I don't think. And so I really want people, I, I challenge people to look at the world through, through those people's eyes. That's really what this poem is about. It's like, it's, it's like a call to action in a way and a challenge.
0: Yeah, I love the way you put it. It's not that hard,
1: but um, you know,
0: if if we truly believe that hate can be taught, you know, then we then perhaps empathy can be taught, and we have a beautiful opportunity right now. And it's so inspiring to see the youth being out there, being so energized um, yeah. and taking this fight to the streets. And it's it's so it's so inspiring. But yeah, I think it does so much starts. As a child, you know, being taught that emotional intelligence, being able yeah. to think like other people, um, just like anything else, you know, it can it can be taught. But but empathy to be focused on as a priority needs to be prior, like prioritized in schools, yeah. in, in in everyday life, just like math and science. <laughs>
1: what, and what what I find fascinating is is it's not just so much that you have hate in your heart is then there are those people that are actually acting upon it in the case uh, of this cop like he he made a conscious effort to to sit on this guy's neck and even when the guy was screaming and ever i mean he literally made a conscious effort even when the guy was stopped moving he made a conscious effort to not remove his knee like it's it's definitely he definitely knew what he was doing right and that's i think what makes it worse is you watch the video and you're like wow he literally knew what he was doing had no issue with it it was just like you know blank that's terrifying. That's utterly terrifying. And the fact that, that that hate is like that. The fact that people just look at another person and treat them like they're less than an animal. I mean, it's just like it's I I find it to be unbelievably heartbreaking, you know. So, and it's scary that people are taught like this and they like you see how people are like falling apart because we want to take the Confederate flag down, who gives a shit? It's just a it's a symbol of hate, you know. But there you go. You know, I just try to change the world to one person at a time.
0: Absolutely, and and you are doing that just by being who you are, touching people's lives, and you're doing a lot of it through your art. And um, part of why I I I started this podcast, the Uncaged Mindset Podcast, is all about breaking free. It's, it's about breaking free from old ideologies, breaking free from um, from 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 old ways of thinking. Maybe you know, and and also uh, breaking free to do what moves you. You know, and I'm inspired by your story, Michael, because you are doing something out there. You are giving much of your gift to the world, but it didn't always start like that. It didn't always, yeah. you, know, you weren't always, you were always free to
1: go and create. Can you tell me the story? I sp- yeah, when you put it that way, yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, so, uh, you know, it's so funny. I was sitting here while we were talking, doing math in my head, and I realized that I probably wrote that poem probably 20 years ago, because I'm, because now I'm 45, which means if I would have written the poem at 30, which I was doing it before that, Ah, that's, that's a lot of math. Anyways, um, but to know, to know my story is, um, I, I grew up wanting to be a writer. I started writing, so I started singing and performing at the age of five and started writing at the age of 10. And I was one of those kids that like, I did play a lot at recess, like, you know, handball and and, and joke rope and and marbles and all that stuff. But then as I got a little bit older and I found this love of writing, um, when a lot of the kids were out playing, I was sitting like up against the wall somewhere. And like, I had a little clipboard with paper and I was just writing. I'd write stories. And um, I kind of got fascinated with, for some reason, even at a young age with ghost stories. I attribute that to growing up in a haunted house. So, so I always wanted to be a writer, but I, I wanted to be a novelist and a playwright. So I didn't have the idea that I wanted to be a filmmaker just yet—it was kind of in the back of my head because I knew when I was a kid I was like, if I ever make movies, I want to like I want my friends to work on it with me. But I didn't I didn't have that that mindset at first. But I as I got older, you know, and then I, I hit my early twenties and I had to get a job, and so I started working in retail, and then I got my first office job at 21 and was working for a timeshare company and all these things. So like, I never really it never dawned on me that I could follow my dream. It never dawned on me was that it wasn't an option. It's just, we're not really sort of taught that as a society. You know, it's like, you go to college, you you, you have to get a, a full-time job and these things. And, and I, so it's kind of following that, but I'm telling you, I worked in an office and it, I was good at my job, but like, I'm very friendly and I would like joke all the time. And I'd get in trouble. Like, you're not supposed to have fun at work. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> I like having fun. Like, I don't want to come in here and hate my life. because. I kind of caught on early, working in an office. that Like, people come in like Monday morning, and they're getting coffee. They're like, "Oh, I'm so tired. Like, is this day over yet?" I was like, "Well, I mean, it just began." Like, and then by Wednesday, people are like, "Oh, I got. I wish it was Friday. I have all these weekend plans." And I was like, "I don't want to spend every day, wishing that the day was over." And then I don't want to be like I, by Wednesday. I don't want to give up on you know. I kind of just saw that sort of mentality, and I was like, "These people are. They're just existing." And I don't want it to exist. I want it to live, right? There's a huge difference. And I just didn't want by Wednesday for Friday to come and only be excited about the, you know, people are excited about Friday night and the Saturday and then like halfway through Sunday, they're like, Oh, I have to go back to work tomorrow. Like, I don't want that. Um, although I, this is the sidebar, but I do find it fascinating that people are like that. And then the, then the virus hits and people couldn't wait to go back to work. Now I knew we needed money, but these are the same people that were like complaining about the job they had in the first place. And I, We'll always appreciate that, that people have work that we need it. But I wanted to be able to do something with my life that I didn't want to die not at least trying. So I always tell this story where I remember right before I turned 30, I was working for a nonprofit organization, and it was really bad. And I remember there was one day I, I had to try to get out of the building for a little bit, and I went to lunch and all. And I came back and I remember I walked up to the door and I remember just like standing there looking at the the door handle. And I was like, I couldn't bring myself to pull the handle to go back inside. Like I couldn't, like it was, it was like, my frustration and my fear, it was like crippling. And I was almost in tears. And I remember having to call my dad and I go, dad, I hate my job so much. I hate where my life is going. I'm 30 years old. I should be, I know I should do something else. And I said, I cannot bring myself to go back into this building. My dad goes, well, you at least have to go back in and get your car keys. (laughs) I said, okay, (laughs) that is fair. (laughs) He's right. Yeah, that was probably the best advice. So I said, fine. So I went in and I got my car keys and, but that was kind of when I realized something in my life had to change. I didn't know then what it would be, but then I remember that I had a friend who liked my writing and was like, hey, I have this idea for a script. Will you, You're such a good writer, would you write it for me? And I was like, man, I don't know anything about writing scripts, because at this time I wanted to be a novelist and a playwright. And he goes, well, I'll tell you what, he goes, I have this friend who, who hosts, who has this class about script supervising. And he goes, I think it's great because what's so great about script supervising is that it'll teach you script breakdown. So he goes, why don't you just take that and then like, that'll teach you script, breaking, <laughs> script breakdown and, and then you can help me write a script. And I was like, uh, sure, why not? I mean, this sounded fascinating to me. And um, I was frustrated enough to take the class and I audited the class for one day it was probably the most boring subject at the time because the guy was talking about filling out camera reports. Right. It's just like how, but I thought it was fascinating because learning about like frame rates and slate numbers and stuff, I was like, Oh, this is kind of fascinating. Yeah. I'll take the class because years later, the, 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 um, the teacher even told me, he goes, I'm surprised you took my class. He goes, you came on like the most boring day. And I go, I found it fascinating. Um, the class wasn't cheap, but wasn't expensive. At the time, my work offered this thing where you could borrow against your 401k or, yeah, or you're on retirement and then you just paid it back and in payments. I was like, all right, well, that's kind of cool. Like, I'm better, I'm trying to better it myself. And it was like a school thing. So I did it. And I went two times a week, Fridays and Saturdays. And um, I studied scripture advisory for about six months. So I said, fine. So now I knew how to do it. I knew how to do this job. I had no desire to be a script advisor. I just wanted to learn how to skill. But I also went back to a job I didn't like. And I was there for six months. And um, I had filed a harassment claim against a person at the company. Uh, this is public knowledge. It's not like I'm telling a secret. Um, they, they found in my favor that yes, I was being harassed, but the company would do nothing about it. And I was so frustrated because I was like, wait, wait a minute. you They found that I was being harassed, but they're not going to do anything about it. So I was like, I kind of was hit to a point where I was like, I don't even care anymore. Like, I could have launched another complaint, but I was like, it, it, it was exhausting the first time. And I said, I cared so little anymore. I just wanted to move on. And there was an incident one day, and I don't want to go into Jesus, such a long story, but there was an incident one day where um, one of – our security guard who was a young black woman, I felt was being not treated fairly. And it was this the one thing that just pushed me over the edge. And the woman was like, It's not worth you losing your job over. I said, actually it is. And I went in human resources and I said, I quit. And the human resources lady says, You quit? Why? And I said, Because I don't care how you treat me. I make that decision to stay because I need a job. I said, but at the time I was answering the phones and this stuff. And I said, I can't in good conscience work for a company that I know disrespect, you know, is treats people of color differently. And I just, I just, I don't want to be part of a company like that. I personally don't. And I said, I have, I have way too much I want to accomplish in my life. So I says, I'm just going to leave. And I says, and I hope that this is a lesson to the people that you can't treat people like this. And the woman was like, okay, she's like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I'm gonna go make movies. And she's like, you are? And I said, yeah, yeah, I am. I'm gonna go make movies. And I said, I don't care if I quit my job because I had literally no plan. You have to understand, like I, this was on a whim. I was just so livid at the fact that um, there was this nice woman I felt was just being unfairly treated. And it just like, it pushed me over the edge. Um, and so I said, Jewel lived in her car. When she first came out here to become a singer, I can do the same thing. And I need you to understand that I did actually, like I lost everything when I did this. So um, yeah, so that, I mean, that's basically my story. I just walked in and I remember I called a friend of mine and I was like, all right, so I gave my two week notice. What do I do now? And he's like, hey, I'm working on a project right now. Do you wanna come help me? And I was like, yes. And I walked in back to him resources and I said, I know I gave you my two week notice, but I gotta be gone by the end of the week. So I was gone four days later. And I ended up working on a short film and I've been doing it for 15 years. Isn't that weird?
0: Ooh, well, like, I know. Know, Michael, that's, that's an amazing story. Man. It is so powerful. And, you know, it's amazing the whole, you know, like willing to risk it all, to lose it all, to leave everything behind. But that, that is, that's the, the messed up part. That's the mentality when people think that you're leaving behind your life. No, you're like, I'm going to live. I am literally yeah. the other side of this is life. So let me grab my car keys, drooling in her car and now you are in the driver's seat of your life
1: That's well you know what's interesting is that I remember when I walked through when I was walking through the company and people were like wait you you lost your what are you gonna do and I was like I don't really have a plan like I just know that I can't do this and I my goal is I want to make movies and I want to and people were like wait a minute you can do that and I was like yeah I guess like because you know I mean it's not like I I guess the perspective, you look at it as I probably was not control, but I was, it was the most terrifying thing. Um, but it was also the most liberating. Like, I cannot begin to tell you how I had this dark cloud hanging over me. And then when I made the decision, that was gone. And I just was like, oh. and I, I know I walked through the company with like a different step. People were like, God, you look so different. You feel better. And people were like, I don't understand how you can just follow your dream and like, like I have to work. I have kids. I have a family. And I said, look, none of that is lost on me. I will never tell people to just do it if you don't feel like it, you need to do it. If you have kids, I understand that your first priority is is your family. I said the only thing I ask is please tell your kids that they can do it. I said because nobody should have to live in a job that they're not. If I watched my grandmother work three part time jobs just to barely make her rent. I I don't want to do that. You know I. I would have rather die trying and never succeed than never try at all. Um, but it's amazing how, I mean, not just liberating, but like, I don't even have a word for it. I, the, the euphoric I had when I did it. Um, but yeah, it was terrifying. And I tell people, and I said, don't, if you do this decision, don't just rush. Like you need to, there, you should have some sort of game plan, but just understand that like it's terrifying and liberating and it's it's everything i don't know i don't know what to say than it that it's, just, it's it was everything for me so and i was a lot older i mean a lot of people i admire people now like who are in their early 20s that just like might live in a small town somewhere and they know they so they either move to like new york or they move to like atlanta or a big city like los angeles and they're just like cuz i moved an hour away from home like i'm you know i live i'm from southern california but i admire people who do it at a young age they're, like i'm just going to go out You know because i did i waited till i was 30 that i was brave enough so when people do it younger i just i'm like oh my god i admire you so much like how great that you could be so young and so sure of what you want because i was terrified i waited i i mean in my defense i kind of helped take in my 20s i helped take care of my nephews because um their father left them and i wanted them to have a good role model but so i started living my life for myself at 30. so that's my story but i think I think what it gave me is I think I had so much life knowledge. You know, I had three full-time. I worked in an office for 11 years before I ever made the decision to leave. Yeah. So.
0: What I like to say is nothing ever goes to waste. It just takes on a different form, you know? You're a you and you carry yourself uh, and your skill sets and all the training on to the next chapter. And you are a role model. You're a great yeah. example of what it means to give yourself permission and when you see the new generation like you said you get excited about them you know doing it early it's because you insist it's because there's someone like you saying it's okay to do this at any age um how yeah. kind of scary nothing is more scary and terrifying than not owning your life
1: <laughs> you know it's 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 interesting you should say that because um recently i started um keeping a vlog um based on like both the good and the bad things that happened just so people are aware of like the journey. Um and what you said is is so true. The fear that I had that I have now is nothing like the fear I had of not owning my true self. It's a very that's there's a huge distinct difference. And I need people to I would rather have the fear of like trying something new in this different part of my life than never trying at all. I got I you know I got interviewed a couple years ago and um, this guy asked me, he goes, if you could give any advice to someone who wants to follow their dream, what would you say? And my, my, my action is, is never be afraid to fail. Because I think the reason why people don't want to try is because they don't want to fail. But the the truth is, is you will probably fail your first time because, um, you're still learning. And the truth is, is like, it's so okay. Like, it's okay to make those mistakes because the thing is you have what, and it's, it's, if the weird thing is failing is such a negative connotation, but the truth is, is like, you're going to make that leap and it'll probably be like the wrong step. And you are like, oh, okay, yeah, okay. So this isn't what I need to, I, so instead of taking the step this way, I got to go this way, right? So it's not really, it's not like you're failing. You just realize like, that's the wrong step. Okay, okay, yeah, I got to go this way. Oh, okay, you know, and and that, I think the fear that I had was I was so afraid of trying because I was afraid I was going to fail. Give your permission to fail. It's Okay. Because you're not gonna get it right the first time nobody does but that's I think that's the journey of life right is 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 learning those steps so one of the things that I always tell people as I said you have to celebrate the small successes because you, you have your eye on this big prize and you're taking all these missteps so whenever you you have all these missteps and you take a right step go for a drink uh, take a trip to the beach um, go get yourself a nice dinner or something I always tell people to celebrate the small successes because it's that journey, because once you get to that big prize, you are there, right? So I had a friend tell me this quote one time for some reason. It just stuck with me. But he said, the best part of a roller coaster is standing in line. And I was like, explain that to me. And he goes, I don't know. He goes, you have all this anticipation and excitement and buildup. He goes, because once you're on the ride, it's over. You enjoy it. And I was like, that to me is what life is. It's like... It's the journey is like standing in line. There's all these like anticipation, accelerations, and frustrations, and then it's like, like your end prize is, is 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 that roller coaster, and it's such a great ride, you know. But then it's like okay, you got to stand in line for the next one, you know. So these are all my little gems that I give to people when I talk about following your dreams. The so sparkly,
0: you know. I love presents. I love gems. You know, diamonds no. are everybody's best friend, and speaking of small successes, I would love to celebrate success with you, which is that you are starring in one of the first feature films filmed completely in quarantine. Social- oh yeah,
1: socially distant,
0: yeah. Uh let's celebrate that, let's talk about that. What can you tell me about your new film? What's the name of it, what's it about, who's in it?
1: Well, it's called The Central Authority, Charles is in it, actually. Um- So I have have a, I have a smallest role because um, I used to be an actor, but I didn't want to get, I kind of made a slow transition into acting. And so when they were looking for actors, I was like, "Ah, I guess I'll, I guess I'll do it. You know, I was a little hesitant again, the whole fear thing, but I was like, all I can do is say no. And all I can do is fail and I won't do it again. But I ended up having a really good time and um, God, you, you actually promote the film so much better than I do. But it, it's really just like, it's, a um, we're at a time when like people are being socially distanced and you have to create content online. And so the idea is there's a central authority and all these people have to create online content. Um, in a way, I kind of feel like it's a little Black Mirror-ish in that sense, uh, which of course you watch Black Mirror and it's so relevant in a lot of ways. And that's what i love about this film is it's very relevant in that way it's for the last two and a half three months we've all we've be, become so socially distanced but we've been reliant on like facetime and, and 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 you know computers and so these we're in a, in this sort of like society where people have to like create these shows and you have to get likes and you have to get views and stuff and like once you don't get views you kind of get x'd out so that's kind of the cool thing and then in between these little um segments the central authority will pop up and remind you to wash your hands or you know stay socially distance so it's it's very sort of like i I dare i say oppressive i don't that's the right word but i find that part fascinating about it because what's so interesting about this global pandemic is it's something that people can relate to across the board like hence the word global pandemic and so that's what i find so relevant about the show is like in the central authority, there's these people who have to um, find ways to stay relevant amongst everybody else. And let's be honest, we do that so well on social media. You always try to remain constant, right? So, but anyways, yeah. So there's these people that do shows and I play one of the people that are as a guest on somebody's show. Um, and my character is Robert Plant. And I am a plant dad basically. And so I'm on the show talking about a new plant and, um, the woman that I, I act against, she's like a plant whisperer. So um, I hope I can say all that, which I can't. It's, um, it was, you know what's interesting about this is a lot of it was very, um. um well, you know this, it was um, ad-libbed. You know, it's like you have a character and then, and I'm not like, I'm so new to acting in this sense. So it was like, I was terrified to do it. Cause I was like, what if I'm not funny? Like. But my costume is, without, without going into detail, my costume is very physically funny, so. And yours, I can't wait to see yours. I hear yours was quite hysterical, Mr. Charles.
0: <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun on, on my social media channel. And, and I gotta say, this is the most I've heard about, about your character, and your storyline. Because again, like you don't really know, it's,
1: it's so secretive. Um, it's very secretive. Um, and I'm not gonna do go much more than that, but I, I'm not telling you anything you can't already see online. Which is fascinating, um, but I do. I thought it was interesting when the when the idea was pitched to me. They wanted to do a feature that's completely social distance. Um, it was so interesting to like sit at home, like I am now, and and act towards somebody on a like I'm trying to act with you. I mean, talk about getting back in the game. I mean, I, you know, I went to do it this way. It was such a challenge. I don't know. Did you find it challenging? Guess, you act a lot, so you probably
0: yeah. You know, it was different. Um, and I think that the, in fact, I, I really believe that the producers who put this ambitious project together selected people that would be open to a process because this process doesn't fit anything. It was oh. all created, uh, you know, in regards to how they were going to direct us, how the storylines were going to be put together, how we were going to be improvised, it was all created for this movie and I think yeah. we we're all open and ready for the challenge. Now, Michael, I want to applaud you because you mentioned once again that even now, with so much experience, you're still doing things that scare you. And as we come to an end at the podcast today, I do have oh a question for you. Okay. Is um, what scares you now? What challenge are you looking forward to next?
1: Well, so after after 15 years of doing one specific job which was scripturizing um in the last couple of years i've been writing and directing more and so now you know i'm a paid writer i, I get hired to write scripts and i've been directing more so i guess it's it's the challenges i'm facing here is like i how do i how do i keep challenging myself within the same industry and that's what i'm doing writing directing uh this year i took up photography um because i travel so much for work and i'm going to places I've never been, and I. I was like, I'll see. There's like beautiful mountains, and I was like, your cell phone doesn't really get those. So I said, let me just get a camera and start studying. And I started really focusing on composition, which has been helping my directing and stuff. So, um, and then because I travel, I started a travel blog. So I think the challenges are just like, how do I try to stay creative? Because because scripturizing, as much as I love it, was never creative. It was like a sort of assistant role, a support. And so now I, I'm at a point in my career where it's like people are coming to me going, you, you, you've done 200 movies. Like your IMDb page is crazy. Like how can we take your experience and, and, and relate it to what we do. So um, never, never did I think when I walked off my job 15 years ago, people would actually want to come to me and, and hear what I have to say. And it's, I think to this day, it's still like, like Matt, my manager will call me and he's like, yeah, he goes, and well, every time I talk to people about you, they love you. They love working with you. And I was like, what? I used to work in an office where no one would listen to anything I had to say, even if I was right, right. And now it's like people, people won't hear what I have to say. I. It's just like it dumbfounds me. I I, I know it sounds odd, and I try to remain humble, which I don't think I'm not humble. But um, yeah, so I think the challenges are like how do I how do I stay creative and try to push myself every day. You know, I'm mostly known for uh, being a horror filmmaker, but I love, you know, I challenge myself by writing a comedy. And um my writing partner and I have done Christmas movies and dramas and crime crime forensic stuff, so I'm always just trying to find something different I've never done before i you know, I directed this guy's skit recently. he's a big youtuber, so it's just stuff like that. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, it does okay i'm a,
1: am very talkative, so sometimes you have to help me steer so <laughs> <It's
0: over. laughs> um you know I
1: drink a lot of coffee
0: are coming to you uh how can they find you? Tell everybody how they can find you websites, links.
1: Uh. Oh my God. I'm so easy to find. All you have to do is go to michaelcolomb.com. Everything's there. Um, from michaelcolomb.com, you can find my, all of my projects. You can find my photography page, my podcast, which Charles was on uh, my travel blog. It's all there. And then social media, just michaelcolomb. Or um, you can also pics by Michael. All that's, I'm mean, not give you all that for the links, but uh, I'm easy to find, Michael Cole. I'm the only one with the last name like this in the industry, so. There you go. I don't know what to say. It's weird talking about myself, man.
0: You did a great job, and I love this. i of the around you. Thank you so much for being on the on Mindset Podcast today. You are a blessing in my life, Michael, and I'm looking forward to the rest of the journey with you working together. Thank, thank you for blessing us with your gems, nuggets, and giving us all permission to be brave, courageous, and change the world by being you. Thanks for listening to the Uncaged Mindset Podcast. Join the conversation and follow us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. You are enough.